This conversation is brought to you in part by Shift Creative. Start shifting. With promotional consideration from Volcano Produce. Hey, everybody. How the hell are you doing today? I hope you're doing good. You know, I say that every time I start these broadcasts because I truly mean it. I think the more that we work on doing good, the more we put positive energy out in the world. Who knows what the hell we could do? Maybe we could change some of this craziness for the better. Maybe everybody takes a little chill pill and just gets along, give a big group hug. And who knows where it takes us? What do you think, Nissa? That sounds like a pretty damn good idea, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I, th- I think we can make good change. Yes. Yeah, damn straight we could. Yes. <laughs> if they would just listen. I love it. Hey, but, you know, I'm excited that I have my guest here today. I've known this gal for a while. She's uh, she's out there doing some big things. We're going to talk about the world of mangoes and Crespo and who she is and what she's up to. She's a food guru. She's a mango herder. She's an all-around big brain. Please welcome my friend. Nissa Pearson's here from Crespo Mangoes. Welcome, girl. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here and super happy talking about food and mangoes and everything, everything. You like that? How do you like the backdrop? I painted this. I love the backdrop. I painted I it. I, I painted it. Seriously? No, I'm bullshitting. Yeah, I did not okay. paint I was this. Like, Please. No, I, I, I have a bandaid on. I have a bandaid on this finger because I got a paint cut from trying to use my fingers. No, yeah. I, it didn't work. No, it didn't work. I like I'm, thrilled, it. <laughs> I'm thrilled you're here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We got a whole bunch of topics we're going to talk about today, and it should be a ton of fun. And and uh, for those that don't know you, and there's a lot of people out there that do, if you wouldn't mind, just give everybody a quick little brief bio and journey and uh, how, why we're hanging out today. Okay, so I'm one of those. When you start off with, okay, so, that always means it's going to be a good story. I just yeah, want you I mean, to know listen, that. I've got good stories, you know. Maybe, maybe at some point we can get into the fact that when I was 11, I was part of a DDT smuggling ring from Nicaragua to Costa Rica. But yeah, maybe for now, I will tell you that um, uh, I work for Crespo Organic Mangoes. So technically, I work for the Crespo family and RCF distributors. Um, most of what I do, I also have my own uh, company that specializes in culinary and produce education. Um, which I also do for the Crespo family and Crespo Mangoes. Um, I have been in the business since, I suppose, technically since I was about 23. I was, my first job in the business was a produce manager for Sundance Natural Foods in Eugene, Oregon. Wow. Um, and that to this day is one of my favorite jobs I've ever had, for sure, hands down. Um, eventually, me too. Working in the produce department was one of the funnest jobs I ever had when I was a kid. Yes. It really was. It was a Yes. Hoot. I mean, everything about it, and especially up there because you had access to everything. Um, you know, but eventually I decided two things. $10 an hour maximum was not enough for me and uh, that I wasn't a hippie per se. So, so I moved back down to California where I was born and uh, started working, essentially drove by a a big basil farm. I was on my way to another job I wasn't qualified for and uh, stopped in and asked for a job. And it was the greenhouse, which probably nobody really remembers, but that is eventually changed into Herb Time Farms, which changed into Rocket Farms, which is a whole different thing. So that's how I started out in the business. So I started working for a really corporate company in the herbs. I did that for a very long time. I moved up to San Francisco, worked for Jacobs Farm Del Cabo for a while in herbs. 
Then I moved out to New York and that's kind of where my global experience started. And I started working for um, uh, in an Israeli company, importing uh, peppers, Dutch pepper, or Israeli peppers and tomatoes and uh, moved into Holland peppers and started my own business eventually in New York. And then that's when I added fair trade fruits, avocados, mangoes, things like that. Did that for a while um, and then eventually found the Crespos, which is its own story in itself. Parallel, parallel to that, I've had a 25 year um, career in culinary field. So everything from creating recipes and teaching cooking. I specialize in teaching cooking to everywhere between four years old to adults. Um, and with the Crespo thing, I've managed to kind of like take these two careers and put them together, Blend which I've yeah. tried to do my entire career. And you'd be amazed in this industry how food and agriculture rarely intersect as they should. Yeah, so that's, that's true. What they do now, technically. All right. Well, like I said, you're the you're the you're you're the mango herder. That's what I said. You're out hurt. You're out herding stuff. I love it. So let's get started with this. And I, I want to get into your big brain a little bit, and I'll open up with a big question. I mean, I you know let's just go right at it. So tell me, what does sustainable food education mean to you? Because I know it's important to you. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords. And like the older I get, the more buzzwords there are in this world. So I kind of look at the, the sustainability as kind of this main word. And it's kind of more of a moving target, right? You know, my dad used to tell me when we were little, which I later discovered also Maya Angelou said, once you know better, you do better. So I feel like that's kind of like the moving target of sustainability. So for me, and, and essentially what that means is that we're all able to coexist on this planet together well. I mean, how you describe well is um, part of the problem we have, I guess. But so for me, sustainable food education is really kind of connecting the dots between those that grow the food and those that eat the food and trying to eliminate all the barriers between getting those dots totally connected, which is also eliminating a lot of middleman hands and things like that. Yeah, I love it. No, it, it's it's a great answer. And you're right. I, I, I think the word sustainable is very unique now. It's like, it's like local. It's, it's just it's becoming lost in a lot of ways out there because we just, we run to these, some of these buzzwords it's like, Oh, that feels really great. What's it mean? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know exactly it's true definition of where it's taking us. And I think it's important that, and I like the way you framed that up. I think it's important to remember that, that the food system itself has got a lot of moving parts to it. And there, there is a lost connection. And we want to talk about that a little bit more between the farmer and the, the user and all the other different things that are connected. I think it's incredibly dangerous too. It's a big threat to this country. There's no two ways about it. Well, I think one of the problems too is that, instead of people really sinking into their own kind of authentic angle in it, we jump from buzzword to buzzword to buzzword and we jump so fast, we don't really settle into anything. So for me, it's kind of like, I just see a lot of people moving around air versus anything kind of like solid and substance. So I'd like to see people kind of really like, learn what these things mean and implement them before moving on to the next one. Cause it's yeah. not easy to move on for, oh. for a grower, let's say. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. You know, one of the things I like about what you create and what you all are doing at, at Crespo is, is, is 
the story of the family is pretty impressive. And I want to kind of lean into that a little bit as we talk about it, because I think it fits to kind of where we're heading with this conversation anyways. But I love the tagline that you have, which is says where tradition and modern worlds collide. I just think that's a really cool way of looking at things. So tell me a little bit, what is, what is Crespo all about? If you wouldn't mind. Well, so I first discovered the Crespo family. I've been working in mangoes for a while, Mexico, Peru, um, with a lot of really small growers. And, you know, I have this unique, and I don't know if it's unique, actually. I have an ability to sell well and to sell at good prices, let's say. Not everybody has that ability, but I have that ability. And I can't ever change the market, but you can sometimes find problems, flaws, better customers, all these different things. But one of the problems in mangoes, organic mangoes, originally way back was that there really wasn't any consistency in everything. Pallets would come with all kinds of counts on them, stickers, this and that. And like, you know, part of the problem is also that very few people that do what I do in terms of on the selling side actually ever are on the ground in these countries of origin. So right. kind of saw the chaos and, and all of that. And eventually I stumbled upon the Crespo family and, you know, they had one of the largest um, packing houses in Mexico and were just like really like efficient and technologically advanced. And I thought I had discovered like gold. Um, so, but really, in addition to all of that, which is what I call the modern stuff, they're this tradition, this beautiful traditional family that comes from a smaller, smaller Mexican town in Sinaloa called Rosario. And it's a, it's a beautiful small town, you know, uh, their family has lived there for multi-generations and um, they care about the community. You know, most of the workers in their pack houses are four generations of families, things like that. So, you know, when I started working for them, you know, I do two things. I do this, I do the selling and the management of the organic program. And then I also um, do the marketing which I, I, which essentially for me is a so storytelling and mango education. And the, the story that always sticks with me the most with that family are those two things, how like their Mexican community, their Mexican culture is super important to them. And so is modernizing and doing everything well so that our final eaters over here get what they need as also. Right. So it's this great synergy that you just don't see every day in our business, mm -hmm. I don't think. Thanks for joining the Toddversation. And now, a word from our sponsor. Thanks for listening to Toddversations. This episode is sponsored by Shift Creative. Shift Creative brings a fresh approach to design and marketing. Shift's team of expert designers and strategists create content that connects and engages. Our clients are a collaborative part of our process working directly with the creative team to build their award-winning projects. Specializing in branding, messaging, packaging, marketing, and websites with decades of experience serving the food, agricultural, service, and tech industries, Shift can help your brand to tell its story. Visit StartShifting.com to get started. Make a difference with your marketing. Freshen up with Shift Creative. No, it's a symbiotic relationship. They all, everybody codependent on everybody. We don't, to your point earlier, we don't think about that in a lot of ways. We don't necessarily, and I talk about this all the time, understand and value our food, which I'm going to talk to you about here in a minute. But I think it's really, really important. I love the fact that, you know, that the story for this family goes back to like the early 1970s. Um, 
it's just a rich tradition. 1960. All right. So all right. I'm schooled. 1960. I thought it was the 70s. I guess I was wrong. I could be wrong. I I admit failure. Hey, me too. Me too. (laughs) But I mean, you know, but I think that that really says a lot. And, and, you know, so much about what agriculture is, is about community, right? And we don't think about it, you know, here in, in, in this country very much. When you think about an ag community, it's not just the farmer, right? It's, it's the bakery. It's the diner. It's the gas station. It's the tractor guy. It's the tire guy. It's the barber. It's all those things that encompass community around agriculture that are supported through agriculture. It's amazing, that, you know, the way that, well, that that relationship works. I mean, it's exactly what we don't have anymore in the United States in terms of farm, right? Because we have all these big corporate kind of farming structures or whatever. So, you know, we talk a lot about that on our own soil here where we need to bring back farming communities and everything like that. But yet they exist in all these other countries that we import from and we don't give them enough credit and we don't give them enough notoriety. And all the, if we go back to talk about the buzzwords, right? All the different buzzwords of, Mm -hmm. I don't even want to say fair trade, this, that, et cetera, but it's like, these communities have, have been embedded doing these things for a long time. They've been moving along these paths for a very long time and doing it well and actually taking care of the communities and actually making them better. So when you go into some of these places, you can see the progress that's been made since 1960 in terms of like the Crespo family um, when they got into the chili pepper business. Now there are other mango companies in the same area and it's all kind of very similar because these are embedded they're embedded in the communities there and that's sure. like their, their top concern yeah no doubt oh yeah no no no. i totally get it and, and it and it, it brought up a point that um that i was what i was thinking about here in this country that we don't we don't necessarily care where the food comes from in the grocery store we just expect it to be there so to your point about how that mango got here that bell pepper things you know wherever it might have come from people just aren't connected to that side of the food business, right? And it's unfortunate. We, we've got to do a better job, I think, of storytelling and bringing to light the importance of who these growers are on a global scale. Because we don't have farmers, kids. I don't know if you've done the math, but I, you know, it's pretty apparent to me we don't have farmers. We we got a long road to hoe and we want well, to feed ourselves. I, I think also it's important to talk about all the different areas in which in in which we shield I don't, I don't know. That's not the right verbiage. All the different areas that should, that are to blame for us not knowing where the food comes from. And I don't know if necessarily, I mean, while it's true, I think the average kind of like consumer may not care sometimes. I think generally they do care, but no one's really feeding the proper information. And I think part of that is because for a long time, and if we speak specifically in mangoes, up until recently, almost all of them have been brokered. There haven't been actual growers that actually are selling them. There's no kind of like what I consider direct trade kind of situation. So it's it's people that buy at the border and sell under their own labels as if they were the fruit company. And the average consumer believes that. So that person, let's say, doesn't really have a story to tell because they're not the farmer, they're not the pack house, they're not the orchard, they're not the community. So it's kind of this bland messaging of like, we have good quality or whatever it is. And sometimes nowadays it's changing. And especially if you make these really good partnerships, everybody that 
wants to be a part of that story and tell your story. I think everybody kind of in a lot, a lot, in a lot of this business, people want to protect what they have. And I think that it kind of under, it undermines what transparency is, which is essentially sharing of information. And that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have to share all information, but it means that the most important information that needs to be shared is, and where your food comes from is really key. Like, the majority of people in the in the United States don't know that their mangoes are hot water baths. I don't know why everybody's pretending that they're not because they are, you know, besides for that last region or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think it's things like that, that the more people know, also, the more your final eaters know about the whole system, the more they're going to understand what the issues are. And there are issues in fruit. Whatever people want to talk about perfection, it doesn't exist. There's always issues. And more so nowadays with climate change and things like that, that are actually wreaking havoc to predictability and consistency. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I mean, let's stay on this train for a little bit. I mean, what do you think the biggest misconception you think consumers and buyers have today about food? That's a big, broad question, I know. But I mean, you know, what when you think about that, there, you know, I, I think assumption is always one that comes to mind for me that people throw first off just that assumption factor. Well, I think there's, I think like for me, for me, if I put my marketing hat on, right, and my marketing hat is different than other people's marketing hats, like the buyer for me is the same as a consumer. I'm doing my marketing to the buyer the same way as the consumer because my assumption is, is that the buyer is a person typically sitting in a desk that may not have very little information about mangoes. And the mm-hmm. less information they have, the more their decisions are going to be made only on kind of one thing, what they need, right? And like, listen, if my life could only be about what I need, it'd be probably a lot better than what I have to deal with, right? So I think sometimes the more you educate on with the buyer about where the mangoes come from, how they're harvested, what the community's like, why the Mexican culture is important to these mango communities, how it, how it, how it, you know, comes to be, what temperature it should be stored. And then even beyond that, how you choose it, how you store it, how you cut it, what you do with it. Because I think in particular, a lot of buyers, and I mean, let's make no mistake. It's a very, uh, historically male-centric business, right? And even though today there's a lot more men doing grocery shopping and cooking and things like that, historically it hasn't been that way. And that's kind of how most of the decisions have been made. So when you think about the fact that um, no one really cares what people are doing with these mangoes, I mean, that becomes kind of, I think, a, a large void where somebody like me comes in and says, that's a large opportunity to be the person that comes in and says, hey, that's important. That's the most important thing to what we do is somebody's buying it to do something with it. It doesn't just stop once we sell it, you know? Right. right. Yeah, I no, went no, off no. on a tangent there. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You didn't go off on a tangent. You answered the question. Great. I think it's important. I mean, look, I think these conversations are really, really important to have, which is why we're having it. You know, I, 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 I leaned into your big brain for this conversation about some of the things I want to ask you. I'm going to keep on this train a little bit. You know, there's a lot of attributes out there today. And I keep saying, you know, that attributes are winning in a lot of ways. It certainly is winning against the organic label. And those that don't think it is, you got to look a little deeper and don't go, oh, it's not, because that's just not a good enough answer. But things like regenerative, sustainable, local, ESG, organic, all of that thrown in the mix, throw a little dash of uh, ag technology on there as well. 
And consumers are confused. There's no two ways about it, right? Because they're going to, as we do in this country, we run to the shiniest penny all the time. So are we diluting the message out there these days in some ways? And, and I guess I want to lean in from that kind of broad statement to kind of get into the conversation about how we value food in this country. And if, do we even know what that even means, perhaps, in this country? All right, those are a couple of questions. I there, threw a lot I, at you, right? It's a big I, one. It's like a big cloud of rain. But I I'm going to start. I'm going to start by bringing back kind of an earlier kind of concept that I had, where it's like most everybody is in too many lanes at one time. So I think one of the reasons why we've been successful, I think I can say that we've been successful in building the Crespo Organic brand, not just among the industry, but also in consumers is that we really stick with what we know and what we're good at. You know, the, the hash, the motto that we have, we are the mango experts. Like for me, that's really important and not just at the orchard level or the pack house level or the fact that we own our own warehouses and all that stuff. But the fact that we're also offering the education, the culinary, all that kind of stuff, like we stay in our lane, you know, look, we are, we are certified organic. We, the majority of our orchards, even the ones we sell in conventional are, um, it's been, it was something important to the founder, Roberto Crespo Fitch, early on that we be certified organic. Um, it, we don't spend lots of time talking about that because most consumers know what certified organic means and everything like that. And, right. you know, we could get into talking about um, the carbon footprint of mangoes and how it actually is act really good for the planet, things like that. That's not really our lane either, right? Same with uh, renew uh, regenerative, which I've been kind of like avoiding, but certainly we're going to have to go down that path with everybody else, even though it's another pivot, it's more costs, it's more, you know, money to somebody else, things like that. Um, we stay in our lane. We teach people about mangoes. And the real goal, the real goal for us is to grow really high quality mangoes, deliver them to the eaters at a price that really matters to them, that allows them to match the volumes and everything like that, and also be teaching them how to use them so that they can use more and also teach them about the Mexican community so that they have so we have this kind of like line of respect in all of the, the chain or whatever. So again, so back to your question, I think it's like people need to stay in their lane or find out what their actually lane is, right? Um, yeah. Instead of jumping from one thing to the next constantly, like, what are you? What are you good at? You can't be good at all things. I mean, I know that I've discovered that as a 50 year old woman, I can't be good at all things, um, but I'm really good at this. So this is what I'm going to mostly do, you know? Right. So that's my message there. Um, in terms of do we value food in this country? I think that it's, it's, it, that's a difficult pointed question because like I'm sitting right now, you know, I'm in Missouri, like, you know, I live in the Southern part of Missouri on the Arkansas border, like middle of nowhere. Um, I moved here from California I've lived all over the world. Um, I lived in New York for 14 years and I was very spoiled when it came to food availability and fresh produce availability. Here it's very different. And, you know, the, 
the initial, let's say, perception could be that people don't care about food, that they only want produce that's cheap. But I think also you have to also lay blame where the people that brought that message to people by delivering cheap produce places. And it doesn't matter what the grocery store is. You know, we can critique which grocery store is better. It doesn't matter. What only matters is that if we're delivering cheap produce, then your people are going to come to expect that. And they don't really understand what cheap produce really means because it's not about price. It's about the degradation to the soils, the communities, nutrition, all different kinds of things. So um, I think there's a lot of people to blame in that, but I don't think it's just, you know, um, people in general here. Yeah, no, great answer. No, and, and you're I, you're spot on with the answer. I, I I agree with you. I think it's a whole entire system that has to be uplifted from from seed to table that we don't do a great job of doing. Um, and I'm going to continue to call it out. I mean, I think it's something that we need to keep talking about. I think it's great to see, you know, the food community embrace this conversation, not run from the conversation. Not, as, as you've done, you you walked right into it with a great answer. And I think it's important that we be thinking about it. Why do we? How do we value it? Right? Cheap cheap. I always you know cheap has a hidden cost, and it always will. And, and look, um, I think it's important to remember that it, it we we all know it takes a it takes significant effort to move produce around, and it's yeah. easier in the lanes and the channels where they pay more money and buy more goods and all of that, right? So where I live on the Arkansas Missouri border, people aren't sending uh, fancy asparagus, you know, unfortunately for me, <laughs> but. Uh, even mangoes. Uh, mangoes are a great example. So when I first moved here, you know, I was spoiled in California. I could just go down to uh, the Earl's warehouse, pick up our mangoes. I'd have them all over here. I don't. It's hard for me to get the ones I buy. Most of them cut black because the cold chain isn't followed, you know, and right. it's like I think about the average eater here who probably isn't even eating that many mangoes. So they don't know what they're opening up, you know, and it's like everybody in our business on the, um, you know, vendor side or the farming side know that if you move mangoes around at under 50 or a Tulfo's at under 55, you're going to essentially change the flavor of them. And so, you know, I'd argue also that like, we're not really doing enough to combat some of those little kind of technical things. Because we're focused on just the the sale of the goods and not the the, the eater's experience. You right. know, I'm con- I'm consumed with the eater's experience as much as everything else. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, I think that's a byproduct too of the big three, right? Sugar, salt, fat in, yes. in the American diet that, that we've become we've been accustomed, we've become very accustomed to specific flavors that we like, and if we they you know. If that bag of whatever it is hits that mark, baby, it's on, you know, your, your body goes into overdrive, like more, 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 more. It's, it's, you're right. I think we've lost some of that understanding the flavor of the nuances and the importance of where food comes from, well, as well as the flavor. That well, I think and the thing about it is, is mangoes in particular, mm-hmm. right? A, a good quality mango hits that mark for a lot of different people. But if we've gone and ruined it by not moving it in the supply chain at the right temperature, we've ruined that experience for a new mango eater, right? Yeah, that, could be, that could be the person that wants to choose the mango instead of the chips. Right? Yeah. Actually, that would, that would be salt and sweet, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, no. Instead, you're of, right. instead of the ding-dongs, do they still exactly. sell ding-dongs? 
I cannot tell you if they do or not. I would imagine that they probably do. I, I, it's, I, I'm not, I don't know. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't had that level of munchies in a long time, so I really yeah. don't know. <laughs> tell me, tell me if you would, if you, you know, as we, as we talk about this, let's go back to Crespo a little bit. I want to get a little more specific okay. about how you're positioning Crespo right now with consumers. I mean, you have a social presence. Recipes are a big part of your DNA. Um, your videos are out there. They're incredibly uplifting what you're trying to do. So you're bringing, you know, information and, and you're bringing Crespo into people's lives in a unique manner. And so can you touch a little bit about that strategy and kind of what you're doing, if you wouldn't mind? Yeah, well, so my my marketing background started back when I had my company, Jernice, in uh, New York, which Jernice still exists on a culinary level, but on the um, fruit and vegetable import distribution. And, you know, this was, I was living in the business, the office, everything was in Brooklyn, and it was really the epicenter back when Twitter was starting. It wasn't so long ago, so that doesn't have to date me so much or whatever. But well, you're the one that said back when. I know, I, I, by I the way. said how old I was, so it doesn't you know, matter. You open up, you open, like you get 50 and you open up with back when. It's like in the covered wagon. Back what are you talking when, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, anyhow. Listen, some middle, some middle school kids told me I didn't look 50, that I only looked 40, and I took that as the greatest compliment. Damn straight. Come on. Um, so... Anyhow, back in Brooklyn, like everything was exploding in terms of like the word guerrilla marketing and things like that. Words we don't use anymore because it's just kind of like plain what we, you know, we do. But sure, so sure. originally I, I started using all those things to help me sell produce. And essentially it was because, you know, all of everything I do in marketing is because I actually have to sell the product too. I wish I could just, was just the marketer, but I'm not. I'm the person that has to sell it all. And I got sick of saying, what about today? Do you want mangoes today? How about today? Today, can I sell you a mango? Right. So eventually I had to find other ways of putting whatever it was in front of people. And, you know, it was simultaneously when I started a cooking school in Brooklyn and I understood people were hungry for information about food. So I knew that the same was going to exist for the people buying produce and everything like that. So that was back when I originally started what, you know, my newsletters, which we do for Crespo now and stuff like that, which is just kind of like education. There's no priceless sent out or anything like that, just kind of marketing education. And, you know, what we found is that people really um, are hungry for that on the eater level and certainly on the buyer level. So it's just continuously feeding more information that's valuable, which also means whenever there's a problem, you have to stop and really explain it to everybody so they understand what's going on. And when you do that, you've got this kind of like cooperative way of working together to move through the problems. Like the orchard's not producing what you think they're gonna produce because of climate change or because of unprecedented sure. demand or whatever it is. So um, that's kind of how it started. And that's really kind of the position. And, you know, it's these these are everything we do is really like low budget. Let's call it right. It's not costly. Um, we do what we can with intuition or not intuition, um, creativity, maybe some intuition. Sure. Sure. Creativity and, um, and a lot of really kind of like advanced design skills and things like that and creative thinking. And, you know, my brain works from the farm to the eater the whole way. So it's somewhat easy for me to tell that message. Yeah. Well, I think it's incredibly important, right? And I think it puts, and, and I think that 
thinking about what we've just talked about and what you've just said, I think it's really important that we put the human aspect side of agriculture back into it, that people understand that, you know, there's, there's a guy and a gal out there making decisions to plant that seed or to harvest that or to water it when they water it or get that crop to come off and what that value is. And I think you guys do a really good job of presenting that. I mean, information is obviously great, but I think you guys do a really nice job of presenting the story of the family. One of the things I was intrigued by with what you guys do is your Crespo Kitchen. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? And then let's get into kind of like maybe, you know, maybe even lean into what you hope it accomplishes for, for buyers and consumers. So the Crespo Organic Kitchen, we call it, was essentially, and essentially that was kind of like, and that's essentially me and my company, Journeys, that create all of the recipe and culinary kind of education for the for mangoes or whatever. So, you know, it kind of started out, and I have a long kind of history of food writing and work with all kinds of chefs and things like that. So, you know, it started out with a bunch of us kind of cooperating to make recipes and videos and cutting things and stuff like that. Um, and most of that happened originally back at my house in Bolinas. And so that was kind of what we had coined it. And then from there, it was kind of like, wherever I go now, it's in Missouri, the Crespo Organic Kitchen, you know, and, um, but we do have other people kind of contributing to it and stuff like that. And it really is about, um, the culinary education aspect of it, which is how to choose, how to store, how to use, cut, use all that. Right. Sorry, the dog is doing exactly what I told you it was going to do. Well, um, it's a dog. You can do it at once. I know. I know. Um, dogs, so, dogs, not the first dog on the podcast, by the way, either. No, I mean, he's, uh, anyhow, um, this, this is where I'm going to start to cuss for sure. At him. <laughs> um, uh, so it's also about like recipes. And, you know, one of the things is, is that in this, in the world of food, and I'm very lucky to have this long parallel career in the food kind of sector. And while I commend people for in produce, for adding the food aspect more and more and more, it's all done almost kind of like a quick sweep kind of thing like that. So lots of cookie cutter stuff. Right. And not everything fits into the same place. So what we really try and do is do a really kind of like broad style of education that really comes from a thoughtful place of culinary experts in that you can't do a hedgehog to every mango. You know, a some of them are too hard. Some of them are too soft, blah, blah, blah. Not everybody has nice skills, you know, so like there are other ways to do it, just like cutting an onion. It's not just yeah. one way, you know, so we really kind of try and round out everything. And that also includes recipes, including more savory. Not everything is a smoothie. In fact, like I'm adamant that like we can only have so many smoothie recipes. Who doesn't know how to make a smoothie, you know? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> or a smoothie I, I, bowl. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm, I, I'm, yeah. Smoothies seem but, like a real, it's such, it's smoothies are such a low hanging fruit. Get that? I did that. I worked that in there. Like, but, but if people understood that if you're barbecuing something and you blend up a mango and add that on there, it's going to tenderize the meat, you know? So like that to me is kind of um, information that's way more valuable than making a smoothie. Yeah. Well, agreed. And I, and again, it goes back to driving value into the food, get people to get beyond, you know, the, beyond the two things they know how to do. And let's give them four because ultimately it drives consumption and driving consumption of fruit and vegetables, is a great way to improve our economy, great way to improve our 
our, our health overall. And it's a great way to improve, improve the planet, right? So I think it's incredibly important that we continue to do that. Talk to me a little bit, though, based upon what you've been doing about consumer behavior and how it's changed over the past couple of years. Because, you know, we had this little thing called COVID. I don't know if you read about it. It was in the news a couple of days. Had a small news cycle in a world world. I had two experiences, California and Missouri. I know is this, every is, this angle same, of it. is the same thing or does it have a little draw when you get it down there by it was a totally level? different experience. Like <laughs> masks on, masks off. Um, yeah, well, there you go. But what I will say, you know, one of the things somebody had asked me in an interview about COVID and how it affected everything. And you know, of course, for a lot of us, it was like we sold a lot of food, right? because people bought a lot of food. And um, so that is true. But one of the things to me that was kind of most noticeable, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about all the latest buzzwords. And yeah. you, know, if you look at that in terms of certifications, how the growers have to adjust quickly, nimbly. So I think one of the things in terms of in Mexico, at the orchard level and pack house level, I wouldn't say things were easy, but pivoting to all these new ways of doing things isn't hard for them, right? Because A, they're working together as a community, right? right and right. then B, they're used to, oh, today's food safety rules are this, tomorrow's this, tomorrow's this. You know, so things were things were what they were. I mean, yes, things were really complicated, but I think most of the complications came on this side of the border and transportation and things like that. Um, you know, uh, for us, one of the big, one of the biggest changes is for two years before that we were doing a lot of, uh, in-store kind of things. We do in-store tastings, in-store demos, cooking classes, all these really like live events that were, um, super popular and gave us a lot of buzz. We weren't able to do any of those. Of course we took them online. It's not the same. We did that. Um, but I think those were the main changes that we experienced. Yeah. Well, I think everybody's gone through a different pivot and a different transition. I think it's interesting to see what the consumer's behavior is as well and how they've changed their eating habits, right? And I think that it's interesting to watch how they change and then watch how they're kind of reverting back to where they were in some degree, um, which was which was a big concern of mine is that, you know, we had this goal, but we had this opportunity, uh, you know, the food sector as a whole had an opportunity to to utilize what we've gone through, you know, on a global scale with this pandemic to really continue the conversation about how important food is, you know, how, you know, Hey, you need your vitamin D every day, kids. We've proven that. Right. And all these other things. And we did a good job in, in, in a lot of ways during that time period, but we've forgotten a lot of it. I think at the end, we're not, you know, we're not driving that same methodology out there in, in a lot of ways. And I think it was, some, it really was an easy opportunity for marketers. And I, in my opinion, I think they've sold themselves short on continuing that positivity conversation with the American consumers in a lot of ways. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now, a word from our sponsor. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations. This episode is sponsored by Shift Creative. Shift Creative brings a fresh approach to design and marketing. Shift's team of expert designers and strategists create content that connects and engages. Our clients are a collaborative part of our process, working directly with the creative team to build their award-winning projects. Specializing in branding, messaging, packaging, marketing, and websites with decades of experience serving the food, agricultural, service, and tech industries, Shift can help your brand to tell its story. Visit StartShifting.com to get started. Make a difference with your marketing. Freshen up with Shift Creative.
Well, I think it also starts to, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm leaning towards this thought as connected to it, where it also reminds me of how easy it was. And this is more on the conventional level, because organically, we have a lot, we get a lot of pre-orders and programs and things sure. like that. But conventionally, um, there was a lot more commitments, more stable prices, more pre-orders, things like that, that made things easier for the whole system to do the job, hmm. right? Interesting. And um, I think some of that has fallen by wayside. And now people are looking around for what the best price is and this more often. And I think that has a trickle up, down, whatever effect on it as well. Because like, I think that unless, again, I go back to the little connecting the dots, unless we're all on the same page, mm-hmm. that last eater is going to continue to get um, confusing messages. Right. So I think that in terms of how the consumer has changed, certainly they're going out and about more often, which means they're going to be probably eating less. I mean, for mangoes, it's different. There's still demand continues to rise. But I think that I would say, and again, there's all kinds of data. And I know that we can all make data look a certain way, right? So I, I don't even have to, I don't even need to talk about the data, except for that we know that consumers are still eating a lot of produce and they're still mm-hmm. eating a lot of organic produce. Mm-hmm. So how do we continue to make that available and valuable to them? And I think that those other parts of the chain are really important to that. Yeah, the buyers, uh, the retailers, commitments, yeah. programs. Yeah. I think, well, again, I think it's about investing, putting energy and bring that yes. energy back to the consumer, tell the consumers why, you know, explain to the consumers, you know, that's, I think it's one of the big things when I, I think about ag technology and some of these, these startups have come in where I think that they failed in the very beginning is that they were so worried about price matching and being cheap and replacing Salinas and all these other narratives. It kicked them, you know, it kicked them square in the teeth as opposed to being, here's why we're different. Here's our value proposition. Here's what, you know, uh, you know, infrastructure and, 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 and in, not infrastructure, but excuse me, innovation has a cost. And I don't think they did a good job of explaining that. I don't think they did a really good job of trying to uplift themselves into that. And I think it's hurt a lot of the, I think, I think that's the number one thing that's hurt a lot of these guys in this startup space is that the fact they just didn't create, they didn't do a good job of telling people why they should be valued. They devalued themselves in their opening volleys. Well, I think also too, like everybody's got a different perspective of what the problem is. And I hate to even say it that, cause I know that like, and I see it actually all over LinkedIn these days where it's like the consumer needs the solution to the problem. And it's like, well, we've created a lot of the problems for the yeah. consumer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I don't buy that methodology because sometimes it's like, you're good at what you do, focus on that. There doesn't have to be a problem, you know? Um, But I think that a lot of the tech isn't really necessarily geared towards problems that a lot of us think need solutions for. I think Mm -hmm. they're geared towards things that are profitable, things that are scalable, things that, we know will work or maybe will work or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of, um, you know, for me where, you know, and that's just the, that's just the way that money-making works. And I think well, that, that is, you know, <laughs> and for me as a human being or my opinion is that I think that's part of the problem, right? Is greed. And I think that like the whole idea that everything needs to be scaled 
is just kind of like ludicrous. And again, I go back to these smaller farming community communities and I say small, it's not like Crespo is a small company, you know, they're no. a very large company, but they're, these are small, they're based on small communities of people working together. And so it's like, I know that these things can exist, but we also just kind of have a way of monetizing everything and that creates problems. Well, I mean, look, you know, capitalism is what it is, but I think that we, we also need to be cognizant about being conscious capitalists, you know, and I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a bad thing to throw out there that there needs to be some of that. We're kind of getting there in some ways and in other ways, yeah. a little too crazy. We, we keep tilting the wheel a little bit, yeah. but you know, with that all being said, what we're talking about, how do you, you know, cause you've got this perspective. I mean, how's the organic industry changed? Do you think? I mean, what excites you about what's going on? You know, give me a little something about that. I mean, I think that you know my my role in the organic industry has always been very different because I worked on the import side of it, right? With the peppers from Holland, the peppers from Israel, tomatoes. Um, you know, so I've always been working with growers all around the world. Peru, Ecuador, et cetera, organic. So it's it, a little bit different on the import thing. So, you know, for me, like I, you'll go to some of these organic shows and people are like, oh, all the conventional people are here. Well, in my world, all the conventional people were always there, you know, in terms of my early organic um, career kind of thing. So, but again, I didn't start my organic career in California per se. And in right. California, I think it was a little, a little bit different than the East Coast. It so, was. Um, and that's the obvious answer everybody says, right, is there's gigantic conventional companies in the mix or whatever. But again, even in terms of fruit, giant conventional companies that are always in the mix of some whatever the latest buzzword is going to be. So um, that to me isn't, uh, isn't that interesting. But what is interesting, I guess, is that more cons consumers know more about organic, right? Consumers want organic. I hate the messaging that like, it's not part of the dirty five or whatever the dirty number is. I can't remember what that dirty number dozen. is. Dirty dozen, right? How do I not remember that? But cause it's like that message to me is just dumb. I love to use that word on an intellectual podcast, right? Dumb. But why? Um, I mean, you, you mean, because what, what, stop. You mean the, what word is dumb? I want to get clarity. So I'm, the dirty yeah, dozen. Why is it dumb? words because it's telling people that the pesticides on the fruit or vegetable or whatever can be this or that but it doesn't matter about the pesticides in the community where it's grown so it disconnects everything oh, okay i see from whatever. Like, so it's okay. like, hey as long as my banana doesn't have pesticides on it it doesn't matter if there's pesticides in the banana growing community you i see where you're I mean? going yeah. And so for me, it's kind of like, there is no, this is better than that. We either agree that these pesticides or whatever they are, you know, uh, uh, fungicides, yeah, pesticides, all the, right. the dirty dozen list in my the world, bad stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, if they're bad for the soil for the water for communities, then they're also bad. Because yeah. again, if we go back, if we go back to the sustainable education and the definition of sustainability, with all of us coexisting on this planet together, well, it doesn't really mesh with that it, with that concept. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just to touch on, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole, but I think, you know, I think the point of the Dirty Dozen is, is to give people an opportunity to recognize the differences that are out there in the food world. And obviously the data that's coming out of EWG is data that they're getting from the FDA and the USDA. Um, I, I don't disagree with what your premise is, because I think it's much bigger than just this banana, right? I do believe it's your, your point's valid about what, what does that banana do to the community? And I like that approach, quite frankly, very much. Um, and, and it makes a whole lot of sense, but I think that's where they come from. And I, and I look at their list and when the Dirty Dozen list came out for the very first time, I was actively sitting on a desk trying to sling some of the things that were on that list organically grown and remember very candidly how I felt at that moment about the list, but then having time to reflect back upon it and see what their actual mission, what they're trying to accomplish. like, okay. And I always go back to the question I always have. It's like, well, are the long-term effect of pesticides really that good for us? Do we really know if you start them as a baby and you keep them going the rest of your life, what's the net effect? But I love where you came from, from the community aspect, because that's not an angle that a lot of people take. Um, and again, you know, and, and, and with lists like that and, and all the other lists that are out there too, it's, you know, are you throwing, you know, you're throwing stones at a glass house type of a deal. And I get where you're coming from and I love it. And, and quite frankly, I think the community side of what you brought up is incredibly valid and, and not something that I've heard somebody say before from that perspective. So kudos to you for that thought. I think it's pretty cool. cool. And I'm also the type of person. And again, where I'm, where I'm sitting, there's not a lot of organic produce to be had. And like, I'm not buying my cherry tomatoes in the refrigerated section. Sorry. Um, that's a weird thing about grocery stores. Uh, I know, I know. But so but the point is, is it's like, I'm still the person that's going to say, buy broccoli, if it's organic or conventional. The fact that you need to buy and eat broccoli is important, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, I, 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 again, it goes kind of back to the transparency of all these things that I don't think people really understand how a lot of conventional produce is grown, right? And it's not up to me to decide for other people. I'm not like the world I live in is very big. It's very global. People have to do a lot of different things to survive in different places. But I do think that like where we live in our world, the information exists mm -hmm. and it's just not being shared so freely or it's being, you know, teased out to just little tiny bits. And I don't know, I would just like to see kind of more, um, more transparency about how food is grown. That's all. Yeah, right, I don't buddy. disagree. No, I, I, I think that's a really, really valid point. I think it's, again, it goes back to valuing our food. You know, I think about what came out of the USDA a few years ago, know your food, know your farmer and how important that really is. And that's an incredibly impactful message because we just don't. To your point, as you, you brought up earlier, people go in the grocery store, they have no idea where that tomato came from. They don't care. They just want the tomato. I mean, I think, and I think in America... We saw that firsthand back in the pandemic, we couldn't find toilet paper. And it was just literally like people losing their minds because we can't find toilet paper on the shelves. And it's like one toilet the, paper. What about, you know, meat, vegetables, things yes. like that. Now, one of the best things that came out of the pandemic, right, were the QR codes. Yeah. Right? And, and remember, people have been trying to get the QR codes they were dead. for they a long were time. Dead in the, they, they were, were dead, dead in the water. They and were now, like, and it's great because, like, it's very difficult to get marketing information at the actual grocery store. We all yeah. know that. Like, you can have yeah. the most beautiful things. And if you're lucky and have good uh, retailers, you can get recipe cards and you can get all. But for the most part, it's really, really difficult to do. But it's yeah. pretty easy to put a QR code on the box or whatever, which, like, that's one of the things that we do where it's like we found ways to get the education out there 
for the curious, you know, yeah. and people are curious. And I, even me, when I see a QR code, I'm like, what is it? Yeah, no, I get what. And now you go, you can sit there and use your phone and snap a picture and you can get Snoop Dogg to talk to you on a bottle of wine. How cool is oh, that? I didn't I'm know going, that. I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Oh yeah. You did. Yeah. You go, you can't, I can't, what's, what's his name is Tan, can't think of the name of his wine, but yeah, he's got a wine. He's on the label and he's just worked QR code. And all of a sudden Snoop comes up on your phone. He's just dropping it right there. on. He's beautiful. Yeah. It's Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Snoop Dogg. I can't imagine I'm, I, I can't imagine that the wine snob in me will like his wine, but maybe I'll try. I, you know what? It gets good, decent reviews. I have not tried it. I'm not going to say yeah, that. Right. I, I, I can't go there, but I've seen it. I've seen the label work. It's pretty, it's pretty right. freaking cool. I All love right. it. Well, I'll, maybe I'll try it and send you a, a review. I, I'll take it. There you go. Okay. Well, this has been fun. What's so? What's next for you guys? What's next for you? What's next for Crespo? I mean, what's on the horizon in 2023? Well, I guess, you know, so we're just basically heading into it's a, The Mexico season is a long season. So we go from mid-January all the way into end of September, sometimes into October, it just depends. Um, so it's a very long season. Um, and we're just getting into the kind of bulk or bigger, the Southern regions, Chiapas, Oaxaca, they've been kind of going all along and the transition into the Northern regions of Nayarit and Sinaloa are coming up. And that's where there's actually like really large volumes and, you know, coincides with summertime here. So mango fever is high. Mangoes should be coming off the trees rapidly. So we actually have our mango mania, summer mango mania, and we do lots of different mango events. We put mangoes on sale all over with all of our retailers. Um, we've got great marketing materials. We've got new bins coming out. Um, and we just kind of have fun with mangoes and we try and get really good price points so that people buy mangoes. We do live events, in-store events, and that's what we have coming up. I love it. That's all right. You, do you need something more? I mean, you should probably take a half a day off once a week. I know. I know. Well, <laughs> you know, I like it's exciting. Well, you know, look, I, I think what you're doing for that brand is really, really cool. I, I'm, I'm a fan of the brand. I love your marketing. I sent you a text message or whatever I did. And I got a box that we picked up and I thought it was just super bottom cool. The, box. the bottom of the box and what you do and why you do it. And, you know, again, I think it's about making that connectivity back to our food. I think it's incredibly important. I think you're doing a hell of a good job leading that charge. I could, I commend you. I, I keep it up, please get deeper into it because I think the more that we, the more that we can make the connection back downstream to where people's food comes from and bring that forward to the American consumer, the better opportunities we're going to have to change people's trajectory in the food world. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking about at school level, um, you know, institutional level, college campuses, isn't that all of it's incredibly important because I think the fastest way we can make changes to our planet, you know, even from a climatic standpoint is change how we deal with our food and to put more value in what our food is. I think it's one of the fastest ways we can change our health in this country. I just think there's so many positive things that can come from it. So kudos to what you guys are doing. Don't stop. I think, I don't think we will. I think we'll just keep going and see what, see what happens. We have a bunch of specialty varietals coming up too. So that's kind be of fun. Like, it's a whole new, it's a whole new thing, you know, learning about these new varieties that we've just kind of never really seen here and stuff like that. So cool. it should be fun. So I love it. Well, yeah. thanks for hanging out. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Oh, thanks for having me. As a play, well, you know, you're always welcome. You know that. That's it's not hard to hang out with you. But I appreciate you being here and just sharing with everybody. And uh, come back anytime. Give us an update of what's going on. I want to hear more. Okay.
Cool. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I appreciate you very much. Like I say to you every single time we close the show, please go inspire somebody today. Give somebody a hug, a high five. Just tell somebody you appreciate who they are today. Put somebody else in front of yourself today with some goodwill and some love. And I'm telling you, we will change this planet for the better. We got to do it, kids. You just got to try every day. Just try one time a day and then it'll be two times a day. And the next thing you know, you're going to do it all day long because you feel great. Trust me, I try it off. Well, I try it every single day. I do, I do, I do. And it's so important. So thanks for being here. Don't forget to check us out on social media, TLC underscore conversation. Nissa, do you know why I'm on social media? Uh, so you can follow me? Okay, I'll go with that. I had a better one, but I'm going to let you have that. I'm going to let you run. Yes, I, I go on social media to get all my mango facts. That's exactly what it is. I'm going to let my joke go for another one. You win. You, you took it from me. I love it. Thanks okay, for being sorry, here. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, I love it. You, you win. Thanks for being here again, everybody. Appreciate it. Much love, Miss. I'll chat at you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.